Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you. What you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show. Sunday. God, we are now in my room. When we did the tests, we were in Amanda's room under a blanket. Yeah. And we just decided that we would test it out <laughs> here because for whatever reason, my walls are softer. I don't know. We don't it have just to be worked under a blanket. Out better. And we're it, closer to a bathroom. And you have more space. Like my apartment's really small and like my apartment's probably the size of your upstairs. <laughs> It's going to work If we have out. to take a bathroom break, the other one can just shout from the toilet. I mean, it's right there. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, welcome. Welcome to... Officially in your ears. <clears throat> Thank you. If you clicked on this and you're listening and you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This voice in your head is I, Marielle, and seated across from me is the only woman who I know came from the same <laughs> uterus as me. That is my sister, Amanda. Yeah, likewise. There are only two of us that we know of, so. Yep. And we know of. Anyway. God bless. What is this um, show called? Women of Death Row. We tell you stories about the um, <laughs> rowing team at whatever fancy-ass university would have a fucking rowing team. Row, row, row your boat. <laughs> we started with one mic, and then we decided to test having two. We didn't one for test each of us. That though, did we? No, we didn't even end up doing it because it was first just my Yeti Nano, and we unboxed Amanda's Yeti Blackout, <laughs> the fucking mother of uh, no, the father of oh. all microphones. Yes, this is definitely a beast. We both immediately were like, this feels like we just opened up a massive dildo. <laughs> She's just in our faces. I don't know if I want to. I've been holding on to all my Mind Hunter and Assassination oh, of Gianni Versace. Yes. I don't know if I need, can get it out now or if I should just wait. I need to rewatch Mind Hunter, so pin that. Well, I did. The Assassination of Gianni Versace, I haven't finished, but holy fuck, Andrew Kanan is nuts. He's nuts. And this like, actor is fucking amazing. He was on something else. What was he on? I have no idea. He but w- if he wasn't like a psychopathic serial killer, I would be like, yes, girl, let's hang out. Because I yeah. love just how pretentious he is for no goddamn reason. No reason. He, he just can't, he doesn't do anything. He can get himself into any situation and like be in. Yeah. No one questions it. Oh, my God. Just. Well, he's an attractive white dude. Right. Going after other attractive white dudes. Or Filipino. Because he's half. Yeah. Wasn't his dad half Filipino? I don't remember. Not Filipino, Thai. It must be his dad because the mom, the woman who plays you'll his see. mom is a straight up just white woman. Yeah, you'll see. Towards the end, you know, anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm at the part where Donatella came out in the dress and then Gianni cut it out. And I was like, no! Oh. I want to know what they did with that. Is it in a museum? Oh. Is it Donatella's I think, house? I think someone wore it recently. Ooh, well. I started and finished the series Unbelievable Today. I didn't start it today. I finished it today. (laughs) 
but I, it's like six seasons, so it's about the serial rapist. Six case. episodes. Or yeah, six, six episodes. I was like, holy shit, you watched it? You started it yesterday? <laughs> yeah. It was about this serial rape case. The first victim, the cops found her unbelievable, so. Motherfuckers. It ends well. Oh, God. Ends as well as it can for that type of situation, so. I don't know. Well, should we talk about this woman who rode all the way across the Atlantic? <laughs> the Atlantic. <laughs> you were going to tell me the story about a brawl last night. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Should we keep that till the end? I feel like if we keep it till the end, it's going to be, like, oh. super anticlimactic. But it was actually pretty... It was heated. I yelled across a few tables. Yeah. You were? Yeah. It was It was, It was. was three tables. It was two against one, actually. It was, it was us two, and then there was a couple on their anniversary, and then there was this family. And they were there for some girl's birthday. She had a baby. We wanted to switch the channel, so we asked our server to get us the remote, and he did. The people at this table with the birthday party, they were like, what are you looking for? And I was like, Mizzou. And he was like, oh, I wonder, what channel is that one on? He acted like he's going to help, whatever. So I, I get the remote, and I'm like, boom, boom, I found it. And then we make a joke, haha, just ask a woman. And then, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes later, that fucking dude asks his server for the remote, which I only noticed because I heard him say, thanks, sweetheart. And then I look over and he has the remote and he's all like, and I was, and I was like, hey, he's about to change the channel. And, you know, he fucking turned around and, hey, <laughs> turn that back. What the fuck are you doing? Give me the fucking remote. And I was like, okay. And they did. Yeah. And I was like, dude. You weren't watching it. You just wanted to change it to be a fucking dick. You were acting like you were going to fucking help us find the channel, and now you're changing it just because you want to incite some fucking reaction? I was I was like, I know you want attention, but let's have some fucking class. <laughs> and then this table over here that was the couple having their anniversary, we were all talking. We actually yeah. had a lot in common. It was funny. It was before we got called to our table, they kept mistaking us for the Moors, and then they were the Moors. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so funny. And the husband, you know, we're talking back and forth. He's getting heated at these dumbasses because then, after that, they would not stop talking about us. It was like they just couldn't. But they were acting like we were the ones who couldn't handle it. And meanwhile, we're having totally different conversations, but I'm still... And so then this husband over here pipes up, and we had been calling them white trash, but he actually had the fucking... Whatever, I was going to say balls, but I didn't want to say that. But to actually say, hey, you, you're fucking white trash, da-da-da-da-da. And then they moved tables. And so then we are still there with this fucking family. And I'm, and then Holy I hear shit. the girl, she's like, I don't know why they're boiling it. And I said, girl. And she's like, and it's my birthday. Bro. And I said, girl, do you want a fucking cookie? We get it. It's your birthday. It's his birthday. It's their anniversary. No one over here is boiling. You're the only one still talking about it. I don't want to keep hearing you. It's your birthday. You have your baby. You this just is fucking stupid. I don't game. give a shit about the sports. And then her and I had a, kind of an exchange where it's like, she's like, I don't even know why this started. And I was like, because men's sports in a fucking remote. That's why. And are we really going to just keep engaging in this bullshit shut the fuck up but they didn't they kept talking about it so i was just like well let's talk about something awesome let's plan a fucking europe trip or something let's go yeah. to the fucking moon and get the fuck out of this fucking planet because good god yeah but it was crazy and it was the new <laughs> location of capital grill which has a totally different vibe really like, like what vibe well it's have you it's been not stuffy 
No, which, I mean, the original one had kind of like a private yeah. country club-ish feel, which is kind of problematic. But it, was, but it was like the only place where you went in, you're like, oh, yeah, I need to sit up a little straighter. Like, this mm-hmm. is an elite crowd. Oh, yeah. Um, now, no. It's like, it's very open. It's very modern. Y- y- there were people in flip-flops. It was like different. Interesting. And then the servers still had their blazers and ties i was like this doesn't go anymore y'all gotta change like did it have like a cheesecake factory vibe no it reminded me of like a summit grill oh i've never been to summit grill it was identical to summit grill basically well shit yeah oh (laughs) and when then we 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 left we both ripped them all a new one on google reviews of course i was like it's not Mm -hmm. the staff's fault Da, da, da. I was like, I, we went into Capitol Grill, and when it was an experience, you'd have it at Applebee's. I was like, <laughs> I was like but no, to no fault of the management. Did the server, the server. That little, that's what he fucking ripped his asshole open over it. He was like, he fucking caved, that little, and then we, you know how Chrissy Teigen called the president a pussy, pussy ass, ass bitch. bitch? We started calling our server a pussy ass bitch. <laughs> because he just immediately caved, he was like, oh, they were here first. It's like, okay, but they didn't ask for the remote to be changed. We did. No one gave a fuck was on that screen until we changed the game. Oh my god, these guys are like 60, and I'm sitting here feeling like I'm mediating a preschool fucking argument. Like, what the fuck? Wow. And oh my God, the older woman at that table was going on. She was to the manager who was a black woman. Mm-hmm. All the management were black women. I was like, fuck yes. But this poor woman had to listen to this white lady just complain. And they said, white trash? I'm not white trash. I was just watching her be so like appalled. How She's like, oh my God, I thought this was a nice restaurant. And I was like, shit, me too. I don't know what happened. <laughs> and when we were like, it's his birthday, the manager was like, oh, I know. and Because she was asking if we wanted dessert. And then they acted like they were heroes bringing out this plate that said happy birthday with the tiniest little like brownie on it. <laughs> he didn't even acknowledge it. I was like, thanks. <laughs> I brought home the coconut cream pie. I'm like, I'm not about to eat this here. I need to eat this in like feeling a place good where you feel and enjoying good. it. And I ate it just standing over my sink. <laughs> <laughs> Best place to eat anything is over oh your sink. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. So the Google reviews. I need to check it. I want to see what his says. Oh, you both wrote them he separately. Was like, I motherfucked Jackson really good. I motherfucked Jackson. <laughs> but ew like and of course their server was on their side our course. server was just a pussy ass bitch gave him but, a remote uh, calling her he was thanks sweetheart ew 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 it's just repulsive yeah i'm sweating what a dick what a is it even recording um well that was a good story you gotta start it <laughs> yeah what <laughs> bye <laughs> i think we're done now <laughs> If any of you had similar experiences fighting over a remote... Let's all Google Capitol Grill in Kansas City and leave fucking reviews. Leave reviews. And call that family white trash. Mm-hmm. They were sitting in the corner to the right of the bar um, facing Ward Parkway. It was a nice white family. <laughs> But now we're going to black, because I'm going to tell you about the Black Widow, or one of the Black Widows, because there's a lot, because I was, whose podcast, was it, 
Did you listen to the latest episode? I did. But and I, I was like, oh anything. my god, is this, are they about to talk about my case? But no, it was another Black Widow. But mm. almost the same fucking crime. Oh, shit. So my sources come from articles by Julia M. Klein, philly.com. That one was published in November 9th, 1999. And then Doug Struck, The Baltimore Sun. Oh, wait, no, 1990. The Baltimore Sun ones, August 22nd, 1989. And then An Encyclopedia of Modern Serial by Michael Newton. Damn. Uh, oh, of Modern Serial Killers, Dash Hunting Humans. That's the full title. Oh, God. And then another one, Pastor's Wife, Arsenic and Old Lace, question mark? Question mark? And then also... Uh, from the North Carolina Department of Corrections. Shit, you had a lot of sources. Yeah. So. Let's hear it. Blanche Devereux? Taylor Moore is, I think, her name, because I didn't write it down. <laughs> yeah, I'm reader of Branch Taylor Moore. Blanche Dan Branch. Her Branch. Name is Branch. Michelle Branch. <laughs> yeah. So Blanche was born February 17th, 1933. She was the daughter of a self-described primitive minister. What the fuck does that mean, primitive minister? Who drank heavily between sermons and sometimes forced his daughter into sex acts with strangers for money in order to pay off his gambling debts. Real great minister. Is that what that means? Primitive minister means you're just a piece of shit. So she married young to escape the abuse, and she first tied the knot with James Taylor, in May 1952, and their first daughter, Vanessa, was born in 1953. That same year, Blanche went to work as a, they called it a checker back then, at a <laughs> Kroger supermarket. She had another child, Cindy, in 1959, just before being promoted to the head checker. <laughs> I put it back, because that sounded like a head checker, but no, head <laughs> cashier. <laughs> She's checking everybody's heads for lice. So she was about to be promoted when she had this other daughter. Cindy. So all was not well in the Taylor household. However, even though she was going to get a promotion, had a new baby. So James was cut from the same cloth as her asshole father, a hard-drinking, compulsive gambler who sometimes disappeared for whole weekends, returning empty-handed with a lame excuse for where the family's money went. Mm. And how does Blanche retaliate? By having affairs at the supermarket, sleeping with her male supervisors, and sparking violent arguments at home. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. In 1962, Blanche focused her romantic attention on 27-year-old Raymond Reed, who had just arrived as Kroger's new assistant manager. But he was married with two young children. Cool. It took three years of determined flirtation for Blanche to get Raymond in bed. Girl. Three years? Never. Not worth it. The oh day my the God, D I is not worth do it. Three days. I'm like, oh I'm bored. Three minutes. Goodbye. Jesus. Is that how long it lasts anyway? <laughs> oh. I I mean, it's been a while for me. I don't even remember. Maybe that's why I got so excited over the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in September 1966, Blanche attempted reconciliation with her father, but it's, oh, interesting. Did you want to make up with your pop-pop? Gross. But his health took a turn for the worse, worse, <laughs> soon after she arrived. Dun, dun, dun. Damn. The forgiving daughter she was, Blanche lingered at his side to nurse him to the bitter end. 
His death attributed to a heart attack tri- triggered by chronic emphysema. Hmm. Probably Doctors smoked. managed to overlook the symptoms, including violent stomach cramps, diarrhea, projectile vomiting, delirium, and a bright blue face, which pointed to death by arsenic poisoning. I was going to say, that sounds like he was poisoned. So she's like, yeah, Dad, I forgive you. He fucking deserved that. She's poisoning him. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Two years later, in 1968, a near-fatal heart attack and conversion to Christianity persuaded James Taylor to get his shit together. He became, in Blanche's words, the perfect husband and father, but the change did nothing to divert her ongoing love affair with Raymond Reed. I mean, shit, girl, it's like three, three years. years. <laughs> Better make it last double that for mm-hmm. the effort. Blanche's mother-in-law, Isla Taylor, was bedridden by mid-1970, and Blanche did her best to make the old woman comfortable. I bet you did, Blanche. Blanche. When Isla died on November 25th, 1970, doctors assumed her death was caused by natural causes. Once again, they missed the eyeballs that had turned cobalt blue, along with quantities of undigested arsenic remaining in the stomach. Raymond Reed abandoned his wife and children in 1971, renting a small apartment and filing for divorce. Good God. Divorce. (laughs) Blanche made a daily routine of stopping by to cook Reed breakfast, proclaiming him helpless without her. Girl, you're sneaky. Hmm. Word about their affair got around, and Reed at least assumed that they were moving toward a permanent relationship. (laughs) His divorce finalized in 1973. Raymond's divorce. Mm-hmm. So he left his wife for Blanche. Yes. Remember, she has a husband. In September 1970, James Taylor came down with the flu with symptoms that included diarrhea, swollen glands, a sore throat, hair loss, a flu that causes hair loss, bloody stool and bloody urine, painful blisters on his hand, hands and feet. Hospitalized near the end of the month, he died on October 2nd barely an hour after Blanche brought him some ice cream from home. Oh. Yes. Taylor Hmm. left a modest estate, but Blanche soon purchased a new home in Burlington, fostering suspicions that she may have tapped the till till at work. Ooh. Tapped the till? Mm Mm-hmm. She was stealing from the cash register. Came as no surprise to anyone in Burlington when Blanche and Reed started dating openly. (laughs) God. They spoke of a marriage, but their wedding was constantly postponed for one reason or another. And over time, Blanche decided Reed wasn't good enough, and she wanted to get someone better. At first, she seemed to set her sights high on store manager Kevin Denton, but the flirtatious relationship soured over time, especially when Blanche filed suit against Denton and Kroger in 1985, charging sexual harassment on the job. Denton was forced to resign under fire, and Kroger settled the pay- the case out of court two years later with a lump sum payment of $275,000. So she's like, oh, I hope you forgive me. Let's go out sometime. <laughs> On January 23rd, 1985, a mysterious fire broke out at her home. Blanche blamed a pervert for the blaze, and firemen confirmed arson as the cause, accepting her tale of a nameless man seen loitering around the property. So she collected a little fire insurance and invested the cash in a new mobile home. When fire raised the trailer a month later, she blamed that pervert again and collected another insurance check. God, it must have been nice to be white in the 80s. 
What? Blanche <laughs> got away with it again. Yeah. Oh, my God. Someone better finally entered Blanche's life on Easter Sunday, 1985. Get this. A handsome divorcee at age 51. He was the reverend that morning. Dwight Moore, the pastor of the Carolina United Church of Christ. Oh, my God. I wonder if they speak in tongues there. For sure. <laughs> Blanche introduced herself at the conclusion of the Easter sunrise service, returning to be counseled as her lawsuit with Kroger dragged on. Hmm. She had a lawsuit with Kroger. Is Kroger is, where she works? This is when she was stealing money. Yeah. Soon they are meeting for meals on a casual basis, Blanche dropping hints to her friends that she just might marry a preacher man in the next year or so. Hmm. Raymond Reed was still on tap, anticipating marriage, but he'd become an obstacle t- to Blanche in her pursuit of the ideal companion. Mm. Mm. So many options, girl. In early 1986, he developed shingles, a skin condition similar to the early effects of arsenical peripheral neuritis. By April, he was hospitalized for the first time with symptoms that included diarrhea, vomiting, and loss of feeling in his hands and feet. Ooh. Ironically, physicians missed the classic warning signs of arsenic poisoning and diagnosed Reed as suffering from Guillain-Barre syndrome, a rarely fatal disease with identical symptoms. Ray's doctor ordered a special test for heavy metals intoxication on June 27th, a urine scan revealing six times the normal amount of arsenic in Reed's system. The test results got lost in bureaucratic red tape and never reached the physician. Of course they didn't. Yeah. Reed's health was up and down for the next three months, but Blanche was taking no chances. She helped him draw up a new will, naming herself as executrix and beneficiary to one-third of Reed's estate. The rest would be divided up between his sons. Hmm. On daily visits to the hospital, she brought him gifts of food, including, including homemade pudding and milkshakes. Despite her loving care and the doctor's best efforts, Reed's condition declined to the point that she, he was shifted to intensive care on October 4th, suffering from renal and respiratory failure. Ooh, by the time he died three days later, he'd gained 60 pounds in retained body fluids. Okay, gross trigger warning if you're queasy. Ugh. Bloating so severely that his skin began to rip. <gasps> Ugh. Oh, Gambar oh. syndrome took the blame for Raymond's death. But it was arsenic. Mm. Blanche dodging requests for an autopsy with reluctant assent from Reed's sons. Oh, my God. His sons are like, bitch, we know. Dwight Moore escorted Blanche to Raymond's funeral. That's classy. Mm. Her grief assuaged by some $30,000 from Reed's estate, plus untold contents looted from his safety deposit box and a safe in the home. Wow. Yeah. Before she finished with the family, Reed's sons kicked in another $45,797, very exact, from their father's life insurance, persuaded that Raymond would have wanted Blanche to have the cash. Man! They didn't get anything. Right? I mean, the they must have gotten something, but they were like, here you go, we'll give you this. Oh my God. Almost 50 grand. Oh my God. Like, what? After a decent period of mourning, <laughs> decent, decent period. Mm, it's okay. Three days. Can I take off my black veil now? Blanche and Reverend Moore decided it was time and set their wedding date for August 23rd, 1987. 
But Blanche unexpectedly had to undergo a mastectomy, and recovery took time, and they pushed the ceremony back to November 27th. Hey, that's a national holiday, a.k.a. my birthday, 1988. (laughs) This time, three weeks before the wedding, Reverend Moore was stricken down with vomiting and diarrhea. Two operations required to correct an intestinal blockage. (laughs) This is what they said in the article. The aging lovebirds... That's what they call them. Aging lovebirds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I left that in there because I thought that was great. So they finally got it right on April 21st, 1989, embarking on a honeymoon to Montclair, New Jersey, where Dwight's first grandchild had just been born. Wow. Yeah. On the way home, April 26th, Dwight collapsed after eating a pastry on the Cape May Ferry. Rather than seek medical care in Jer- New Jersey, Blanche drove him back to Burlington for two days of nursing at home. Ooh. Admitted to Alamance County Hospital on April 28th, Moore took a sudden turn for the worse after Blanche delivered some homemade soup. Physicians sent him home without a diagnosis or a cure, and Moore's condition worsened after his next meal. Hmm. Hmm. Wonder why. I know. I wonder what's going to be happening. Gluten allergy. <laughs> Blanche drove him to North Carolina Memorial Hospital, but they refused to admit Moore without a written reference from Alamance County. Home again, Moore was close to death by April 30th, retaining 40 pounds of body fluid in the 24 hours before Blanche took him back to the hospital. From there, he passed on again to North Carolina Memorial, this time with the necessary paperwork. So we went from the county hospital now back to the better hospital. Hmm. A toxic screen was ordered by physicians at North Carolina Memorial, and the results filed on May 13th were startling. Moore's body contained 20 times the lethal dose of arsenic, enough, quite literally, to kill a moose. So finally, police were summoned and started growing suspicions after realizing Blanche's history of bad luck when it came to romantic partners just dying. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Rare diseases. Bloating and just all of a sudden they're blasting ass and vomiting (laughs) everywhere. Projectile vomiting. (laughs) Oh, God. So, for his part, Reverend Moore rejected any suggestion that Blanche was to blame for his illness. Rather, he insisted she must have that he must have inhaled the poisoning while spraying his garden for pests. God, the denial. So, despite that loyalty, the police had their strong suspicions, and Blanche was running out of time. Questioned by police on June 6th, she denied bringing any food to Raymond Reed when he was ill. A statement that was flatly contradicted by hotel staff, I mean, hotel, (laughs) hospital staffers. Reed's body was exhumed for tests on June 13th, 1989, and arsenic was found. Results were the same with James Taylor. Their suspicions quickly centered on Blanche, and they began backtracking through her life. They exhumed Reed's body from the Pine Hills Cemetery, and the medical examiner said that he died of arsenic poisoning. So the SBI, which... I don't know what SBI is, and I meant to look it up, but I fucking forgot. And then I was like, maybe it's supposed to be... Special Bureau of Investigation, Oh, I I bet that is. So they got suspicious of Blanche Moore when they found out she'd tried to get Dwight Moore's pension changed so she would be the principal beneficiary. They also knew she had lied about how much money she'd received from Raymond Reed's estate. During interviews, Blanche Moore mentioned that both Dwight Moore and Raymond Reed felt depressed and had probably been taking arsenic... Something that was found highly improbable. Additionally, it emerged Moore had still been sleeping with Reed around the same time. So she was sleeping with him. Hmm. 
At the same time, she began dating Reverend Dwight Moore. Blanche also had Dwight's hair cut in an attempt to prevent hair samples from being obtained by the SBI, but pubic hair samples were used instead. Ouch. On July 18, 1989, Blanche Taylor Moore was arrested for first-degree murder while at her daughter's home. Her attorney points out what was what has puzzled townsfolk about the case. He said there was no apparent motive for her to have done any of this other than maybe money, money right? He said, blah, 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 but he's her attorney. Blanche was held in the Alamance County Jail without bond. So lesser traces of arsenic were also found in the bodies of Blanche's father and mother-in-law. Oh, shit. But the evidence wasn't sufficient enough to charge her with their murders. So I guess they exhumed them, too. Wow. Yeah. Ugh. Prosecutor, what if they would have been fucking cremated? <laughs> shit. Prosecutors opted to charge her with killing Reed rather than trying to kill Dwight Moore because they felt they'd be able to show her spooning arsenic-laced pudding to Reed. In Dwight Mm. Moore's case, doctors had recognized the science of arsenic poisoning early on, making it more difficult to find out who was poisoning him. The headlines of this clannish town chronicled the saga for six weeks while Mrs. Moore held her head high. She continued to visit her husband until he finally told her the marriage was over. Mrs. Moore left the hospital in tears. Dwight defended her and wouldn't believe it until the authorities gave him the evidence on Reed. It was emotionally devastating to him. So Blanche's trial for the murder of Raymond Reed opened in Winston-Salem on October 21st, 1990. Oh, right after you were born. Blanche adamantly denied ever giving Reed any food during hospital visits. However, the state introduced 53 witnesses who testified about her daily trips to the hospital with food yeah that's a lot of people mm-hmm. a lot of staff because if she's going to the hospital every day people saw that oh yeah so the state had an easier time with than expected in making such a complex case because reed's ex-wife and son sued baptist hospital for malpractice they were able to get the normal statute Statute of limitations for wrongful death thrown out because they were able to prove that Blanche, as executor of Raymond Reed's estate, should have been the person to find out about the toxicology screen. The Reed family argued that Blanche had fraudulently prevented them from finding out about the test. Hmm. So she was convicted on November 14th, and on November 17th, the jury recommended the death penalty. Ooh. On January 18th, 1991, the presiding judge concurred with the jury and sentenced her to die by lethal injection. She currently resides at the North Carolina Correctional Institution for Women. She's now going by the name Prisoner Number 0288088. She wrote music in the past and spends her time writing poetry. And because of the automatic appeals in progress, she's been able to stave off execution for over 20 years and, of course, maintains her innocence. In 2010, Blanche and 11 other death row inmates from Forsyth County filed a motion to convert their sentences to life imprisonment on the basis of the state's Racial Justice Act, which essentially the issue was the racial composition of the juries. The court held that Blanche received a fair trial and sentencing proceeding free from judicial error. The sentence was not imposed under the influence of passion, prejudice, or any other arbitrary factor. The death sentence imposed is not just proportionate to the death penalty imposed in similar cases. Mm. Health issues in prison have required Blanche to undergo chemo and radiation therapy, 
1993, author Jim Schutz wrote a book about the murders entitled Preacher's Girl. He found evidence that seemed to indicate that Moore set up Denton in the sexual harassment suit and may have intentionally set the two fires. Later that year, Elizabeth Montgomery starred as Blanche in the made-for-TV movie based on the book entitled The Black Widow Murders, The Blanche Taylor Moore Story. Story? The Dwight Moore case was also featured in episodes of the series Diagnosis Unknown, which has recently been aired on Investigate ID channel. So her victims were P.D. Kaiser, I think that's her dad, in 1968, exhumation showed arsenic poisoning. Isla Taylor, her mother-in-law in 1970, also exhumation showed arsenic poisoning. James Taylor in 1971, her OG husband. Raymond Reed, 1986. And Dwight Moore recovered in 1989. And, that's uh, five people? So, yeah, one, two, three, four, four died, one recovered. One recovered. And that's her, the story of Blanche Taylor Moore, the Black Widow Killer of North Carolina. You want to see pictures? She's greedy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Poisoning men with arsenic. What's with that? Which I know they say women are more likely to commit murder <laughs> by poisoning. But yeah, not in, like, such a violent but, dude, there's so many fucking black widows. And, like, how... First of all, how, where are you getting this fucking poison? Where do you buy arsenic? I don't I don't know if you can make it, but now it's, like, how did they find out? Did they go to the library? Now it's, like, I you can know. Google anything, and it's, like... Find out. And we're going to know that you Googled it. We're going to know. And we're going to know where you were sitting when you fucking Googled it. Did it. <laughs> Blanche. Yeah. She looked like a Blanche. Mm-hmm. She looked like the Blanche from Golden Girls, like that dress. It was the 80s, so oh, of yeah. course, all women older than 50 dress the same. Mm-hmm. Those glasses yep. and the little chain. Yep. And the heels that were kind of oh, like narrow, mm-hmm. thick, kind of. Yeah, little yeah. mules type. Are those mules? Mm, probably not. So. Ooh, I can't wait to hear you talking about. Mine's pretty cut and dry. Krista Pike. I remember seeing this name, but I don't remember the crime. So Krista Pike is the youngest woman to be sentenced to death row. She was sentenced to death row in 1995 at age 20. Is this the girl who beat up the old guy? No. Oh my God. Then I have no idea where this is going. All right. Uh. So first, I wrote down a couple factoids from a couple articles when I was perusing. This one's from deathpenaltyinfo.org. And, like, as a behavioral person... Oh, yeah. You have credentials. I thought this was interesting. So, according to deathpenaltyinfo.org, women are rarely sentenced to death in the United States, and executions are even rarer. Yeah. Researchers suggest that women who are sentenced to death are often perceived as breaking gender norms. Yeah. Because women are supposed to be, like, motherly, gentle Mm -hmm. creatures, pushovers. I hear some feet. Chico! Chico feet! Chico came to join the party, and so did Puma. Hi. Everyone so gets treats cute. at the end, even us. Okay. Hi, Puma. So, according to this article called Women, Death Row, Invisible Sub- Subjects, Gender Discrimination, and these are just two of the findings from a report in the article deathpenalty.org. Judged for her more than her crime, a global overview of women facing the death penalty. So think about that. 
a woman, you're already being judged for being put on death row, but because you're a woman, they have more to judge you on. Yeah. And so published by um, Cornell Center on the death penalty worldwide, and this is when they launched the ALICE Project. And so the report represents a first attempt to devote resources and attention to the experiences of women on death row to develop human rights strategies around the application of capital punishment to women and to invite international law to look at its own biases. I'll link the article. It's interesting. It's short. But it says that the U.S. is, I think, number three in the world with executing women. China, number Russia one. No, Russia wasn't. Nan, now i got to make sure I'm giving you stuff. China. Let me let me go to this article. Chicka to China. The Chinese, Chinese chicken. chicken. Have a drumstick and bring the chicken. Watch the next files with the lights on. All right. Breaks over. I found the oh, article. I both in the league so we could harmonize that part. Oh, <laughs> Anyways. So... This report by Cornell is based on three years of research, estimates that at least 500 women are currently death, on death row in the world, and at least 100... How many? 500. Oh. And at least 100 have been executed in the last 10 years. The average age of women on death row in the U.S. is 48. So, is that's pretty young. Damn, yeah. Since its reinstatement of the death penalty in the U.S. in 1976, because there was that Furman versus George... That eliminated the death penalty. He was a criminal in case in which the U.S. Supreme Court struck down all death penalty schemes in five to four decision. Following Furman, in order to reinstate the death penalty, states had to remove arbitrary and discriminatory effects to satisfy the Eighth Amendment. Oh, so that happened. No cruel and unusual punishment. Mm-hmm. Let's see. China and Iran are the world's leading executing world's leading executing countries are also the lead executioners of women. Ooh. So And that's just systemic. I mean That's systemic, yeah. Oh, we could just go in. We can go in on that one. About how women are There's a femicide happening, god damn it. Yeah. So the Alice Project is named for Alex Nungu. <sighs> He was sentenced to death in 2003 in Malawi for killing her husband in self-defense as he was battering her. So that evidence was not used, just that she killed her husband. Yeah. So she spent 12 years on death row. Her physical and mental health declined. In 2015, she was granted a resentencing hearing. And five years after she was entitled to it, she was released and then died a few months later. This research was for the Alice Project, so... You're That's just so much more informative. We should have started with yours. <laughs> but this has nothing to do with Krista Pike. Ooh! So Krista Gale Pike was born March 10th, uh, 1976. Oh, this is going to be the 80s, 90s trap. Mm-hmm. Oh, we didn't even know. In West Virginia. Oh, West Virginia. Oh, I just think of The Office, Dwight and Andy. I got all my information from murderpedia.org. I fucking love Murderpedia. Pay them. Murderpedia.org. And then I actually found an actual court document from her last petition she filed for something I'll tell you about. So, according to Murderpedia, Crystal lived a troubled life, eventually dropped out of high school. So, troubled life, that's pretty loaded. It could mean a lot of things. Yeah. Later, we'll go to describe what it was. In 1995, when Crystal was 19, she enrolled in Job Corps in Knoxville, Tennessee. 
Job Corps is like a technical program to give you career skills. So they have different slots. And it's for people who want to gain technical skills, but you have to meet a certain income criteria. Mm. So it's targeted for low-income people to build skills and get a job. So they do like mechanics, cooking, CNA, all kinds. Kind of like Votech. Kind of like Mm-hmm. So she did that, and she lived in the dorms, because they have dorms. It's like you live on campus. So while she was in Job Corps, Krista started crushing on Tadril Ship with two Ps. Tadril Ship. Tadril. Mm -hmm. That's quite a name to yell out during. Taddy. Tad. I don't know. It was reported that Krista and Tadril dabbled, in quotes, in devil worship. This is during the Satanic Panic. This was in 1995, so probably. A little bit post-Satanic Panic. Satanic Panic was like late 80s, right? Was it? God. I don't know. Apparently, Krista started to suspect. (laughs) That must be why mom thought you were possessed when you were a toddler. (laughs) It was a Satanic Panic. But I'm struggling to fucking pronounce Satanic Panic. Must be these fucking hard seltzers. Oh, hard seltzers. Okay. So, apparently, while she was dating Tadril, Krista started to suspect her fellow student peer, Colleen Slemmer, of trying to steal her boyfriend, Tadril. Apparently, Colleen, uh, Krista felt Colleen was flirting with Tadril and going around telling everybody that she was going to take him from Krista. Oh, shit. Colleen's friends denied this. Um... But Krista did not get. I wrote, Krista did not give a F. <laughs> <laughs> Krista didn't care. So on June 12th, 1995, Krista, Tadril, and 18-year-old Shadola Peterson went up to Colleen and said they wanted to smoke some weed with her as a way to call a truce to the whole stealing my man drama. Don't smoke that weed, girl. The four of them signed out of the dorms tonight, together that night. And went to the woods to go smoke weed. No, no, no. It's they go low, we go high, not get high. Well. You say, fuck you. I got my own weed. Well, and this is what tells you that Colleen probably wasn't flirting with Tadril. She was like, you know, yeah, I'll call a truce. I forgive you. Let's go do this. Good. I have a personal story that's kind of like that. But I mean, I was, how old was she? They were all, like, 18, 19. Okay, yeah, when I was 19 and in that fucking horrible situation, and his girlfriend and I had a conversation, and I, her and I, like, had a great conversation, like, bonded, and that made me, like, go, and, like, I got in her car, and we talked, and, like, we went to the house together, and it's like, that could have been a setup for her to murder me. Totally. She wanted to. She said some things over the years. It's like, girl. She could have. Yeah. Just don't go with anybody. Always go in your own car. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. Yeah. Googie, our grandma, told me, don't even, don't entertain it, don't engage it. And I did the opposite of what she said, and it was a train wreck. So always listen to your grandma or someone mm-hmm. wiser than you. Someone who's older and has lived through shit. Yeah. You're 19, you don't know shit. I'm when like, you're oh 19, my God, you I don't know shit. Me. I would have whooped my ass now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have had a hard talk with myself. Like, um, honey, you're better than this. Honey. But poor Colleen. So when they got to the woods, Colleen was attacked by the other three people. 
per the court Tadril is one of the attackers. Tadril is one of the attackers. Mm-hmm. It was Tadril, Krista, and Shadola. So for the next 30 minute, for the 30 minute duration, I think is all it took. Colleen was taunted, beaten, and slashed, and a pentagram was carved in her chest. Jesus fucking. Ugh. So later in a court document I read, it was pretty brutal and gruesome what they did. Finally, Krista smashed Colleen's skull with a large chunk of asphalt, oh, and it killed her. Bitch. And get this. Krista kept a piece of the skull. Krista. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next day, June 13th, 1995, University of Tennessee grounds people found Colleen's body, but at this point, they had only found her body. Mm. Until Krista started flashing around this piece of skull. And 36 hours later, Krista, Tadril, and Shadola were arrested. And then, you know, when they were investigating, the sign-in, sign-out book for the dorm showed that, yeah, they all four signed out together. So Krista, Tadril, Colleen, and Shadola signed out together. But only Krista, Tadril, and Shadola came back. Pause. So dumb. She's flashing this piece of skull around, and it just reminded me of... There was a story recently, maybe I dreamt this, but I feel like this is real. It probably happened in fucking Florida. Somebody found a skull... And they supposedly thought it was fake, and it was, like, a homeless guy, and he was, like, parading around with it on a stick. I think I've heard about this, yeah. but it was real. But it was a real skull, and he thought it was, like, fake, so he's just like... That's really common in the homeless community, to find dead bodies, and it's more homeless folks that freeze to death, usually. Yeah. God damn, we've got to give a shit about our fellow man, our fellow women, our fellow mm-hmm. citizens, human. Human goddamn beings, y'all. Yeah. How the fuck would you like it if life shit on you and you did your best and it shit on you some more? It's completely systemic barriers. But think of all... Okay, so whatever city you're in, for we're going to cite Kansas City because we live here. Hundreds, maybe thousands of abandoned buildings, abandoned houses... That are just sitting there. How about these mega churches that are only filled up like two nights a week and right. one morning? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That just tells you that the entire United States of America is anti-poor, anti-black, anti-woman, anti-what else? It's an oligarchy. So, they were all arrested. They looked at the sign-in, sign-out book. Investigators also found the piece of school in Chris's pocket. Their dorm rooms were searched and they found the satanic Bible in Tadril's room. But Krista insisted they were merely trying to scare Colleen, but it got out of control. So you took her skull. So you took a piece of her skull and paraded it around. So there was a lot of evidence. There was a confession and witnesses. So I couldn't find where the exact confession came from, but I think it came from... Shadola, because she was listed as an informant. Krista was charged with murder and conspiracy to commit murder. And on March 22nd, 1996, after only a few hours of deliberation, Krista was found guilty on both counts. What about Tadril? I'm getting there. On March 30th, 1996, Krista was sentenced to death by electrocution for the murder of, for the murder charge and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Prison for the conspiracy charge. Ooh, West Virginia doesn't play. They have an electric they don't. chair. The electric chair. So Tadril received a life sentence with 
the possibility of parole. And Shadola, who had turned informant, received probation for pleading guilty to being an accessory. Whoa. Mm -hmm. There was also two other witnesses. According to the most recent court documents for a petition she filed, two other students reported Krista had talked to them about killing Colleen. Krista told another student named Kim that she wanted to kill Colleen because she felt mean that day, quote-unquote. Girl. The day following that conversation, Kim had seen Krista, Tadril, Shadola, and Colleen sign out and saw that only three of them come back. So she witnessed that. Later that night, Krista went to Kim's room and told Kim everything. Everything. So Krista gives no shit about consequences. Also, there was another girl named Stephanie. Same situation. Krista told Stephanie everything. So there you go. After being sentenced, convinced, convicted and sentenced, Krista filed appeals and then canceled them, then filed them again, and then canceled them. In June 2001, then again in June 2002, against the advice of her lawyers, Krista asked the courts to drop her appeal and sought to be executed via electrocution. So criminal court judge Mary Beth Lebowitz, how can I say that? Lebowitz? Yeah. Granted the request, and an execution date of August 19th, 2002 was set. However, Kristoff changed her fucking mind again. This. And on July 8th, 2002, defense lawyers filed a motion to allow the appeal process to continue. This motion was denied. However, on August 2nd, 2002, a three-judge state appeals court panel ruled that the proceedings should be continued and the execution was not carried out she's changing her mind she's playing the system she knows what she's doing (laughs) god Uh, get this girl some goddamn prestige mood stabilizer something something in december 2008 she requested a new trial which was denied and had run out and by that time she was like running out of appeals and as of December 2009, no execution date had been set, and it is unknown whether or not she had been taken undertaken any appeal of her conviction in the federal court system. So she knows what she's doing. She's buying herself time. Yeah. Well, fucking Blanche <clears throat> Taylor Moore had 20 years of appeals, but they had automatic appeals in North Carolina. I wonder. Oh, if really? That's like this is Tennessee, it. actually, oh, because okay. she was living in Tennessee. This all happened in Knoxville during Votech. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was the state of Tennessee. Krista. It's cut and dry. She did this. There's, there's, 2018, she filed a petition that she was not happy with her legal representation at the time during the trial and that they failed to present mitigation experts. So instead, her lawyer called her aunt, mom, and dad to the stand who testified about Krista's behavioral issues growing up. And at this point, she had exhausted her appeals and her requests for a new trial quote from the court document chris pike's claim really presents two separate issues first she argues that her trial counselor was ineffective everybody says that in effect yes for <laughs> failing assistant of counsel bam yeah. i know that one for failing to present the testimony of her mitigation expert dr mccoy at her sentencing hearing second she contends that counsel was ineffective for failing to discover other compelling mitigation evidence such as 
Krista's organic brain damage, bipolar disorder, PTSD, and lay witnesses who could have provided a more complete picture of her humanity. The state of Tennessee prosecuted Krista, Krista for Colleen's murder. At trial, much of Pike's unsuccessful defense centered around her mental health. Dr. Eric Engum testified that he had examined Pike, and although she suffered from no symptoms of brain damage or insanity, she did suffer from, quote, very, unquote, very severe borderline personality disorder, mm-hmm. which borderline personality per- disorder. Well, when you go into sociopathy, you go more into antisocial personality disorder. That's when, like, that lack of empathy, lack of personality characteristics kind of come in. But borderline personality disorder is more of a, I hate you, don't leave me mentality. It's like you're very manipulative to get what it is that you So she's need. angry and jealous, so I need to kill her. Pretty much. A fucking 19-year-old. Yeah. So borderline, like, personality disorders, especially with teenagers, there's a lot of controversial things. Basically, it's a... Anything in the DSM is a billing code Mm -hmm. for insurance companies. You know, Krista had behavioral issues. Who knows what her past was growing up? But she was very manipulative, but she knew what she was doing. Yeah, let's go smoke this weed Mm -hmm. and smoke Uh, this peace pipe called a truce. Yep, they also, she also exhibited signs of cannabis dependence and depressive disorder. Cannabis dependence. Yep. LOL. I got that. On this basis, Dr. Agnum testified while there was no question Krista killed Colleen, it was his opinion that she did not act with deliberation or premeditation and simply lost control, consistent with her diagnosis of borderline personality. So, with borderline personality, it's very impulsive. So, Dr. William Burnett is a forensic psychiatrist who specializes in satanic rituals. Mm-hmm. He testified that he reviewed Krista's statements and the medical physiological reports prepared by the other professionals involved in the case and concluded that the crime had satanic elements. It appeared more indicative of an adolescent dabbling in satanism. So, dabbling. He also discussed the phenomenon of collective aggression in which a group of people become emotionally aroused and the end result is that they engage in some kind of violent, extremely violent activity. It was his opinion that Colleen's murder was consistent with that phenomenon. I would agree. It sounds like it. They lured her in the the woods. Mm, It's like the Slender Man shit. Oh, yeah. So, Krista argued that the presentation of evidence of bipolar disorder and organic brain damage would have been relevant to prove to the jury that her moral reasoning and impulse control were impaired. But the psychiatrist said that didn't have anything to do with it. So, but she's a teenager. Her brain's not even fully developed. So, right, your brain's not even fully developed until you're 25. So, she argued her trial counsel was ineffective for failing to prevent various present various other lay witnesses, such as those psychiatrists who could have testified, and also people who could have testified about her relationships with their relationships with Krista, what they thought of her, and how they described her tumultuous childhood in conversations, just like general people she knew. For example, she argues that counsel should have presented the testimony of Marshall Muse, her teacher, who would have testified that he saw flashes of something special. I want to talk to that teacher. Or, uh-huh. counsel should have argued an acquaint- 
should have called an acquaintance named Onis Perry, who could have testified about her late night talks with Pike, with Krista Pike, and how she had described a difficult childhood and home life. But, as noted above, Krista has not persuaded us that this other testimony would have significantly would have been significantly different in strength or subject matter from the testimony of her mother, father, and aunt. Like your mom, dad, and aunt. You know, it's... What they probably saw was accurate. Mm -hmm. So, in sum, none of the evidence Krista now points to substantially differs from the mitigation case that was presented to the jury. So it wouldn't have changed anything. Mm Mm-hmm. So basically, they denied her, denied that petition as well. And it said, because petitioner cannot establish that the Tennessee Court of Criminal Appeals adjudication Mm -hmm. of her claims of ineffective assistance of counsel was an unreasonable application of clearly established federal law, we affirm the judgment of this district, of this district court. Why? Yeah. Well, let's go back to 2012. Yeah, I found this. Tazzle, Tadrel, whatever the fuck his name is. He's still in jail. But he didn't get the death sentence? No, he got life with the possibility of parole. Life is like, what, 25 years? Yep. But she had planned the whole thing. So going back to 2012, I found this article from Good Morning America that Krista Pike just keeps trying to get off death row, just keeps trying to get away with it, doesn't want to face the consequences. There are no consequences for her. This is how her mind is going. She seduces several men. Guards. To help plot her escape. Or, like, Guards, pen pals. pals. She was manipulative, persuasive, and I think three or four men were arrested for helping plot her escape. Like, one guy went and tried to replicate keys from the prison. And these men were arrested and put in jail for it. Uh, And in 2001, she was arrested and she was charged. She was in jail this time. She was charged with attempted murder for strangling her cellmate. Oh, Mm -hmm. God. Krista Pike is deemed one of the most dangerous women of America and has been on death row since 1996. And she was sentenced when she was 20 years old. That's Krista Pike. Manipulative, oh dangerous, doesn't want to accept any sort of... It's that fucking reefer madness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the reefer madness. What the fuck? Youngest woman on death row, and I'll show you a picture of her. Yeah. Why do they want to kill her? So... Oh, girl. Look at those eyebrows. Yeah, so she basically just doesn't want to take any responsibility. And um, that's her in the 90s when she was... Oh, my God. Yeah. She's so little. They sentenced her to death. They sentenced a 20-year-old to death. She looks like a 14-year-old. Yes. I don't know. Maybe behavioral therapy. Yeah. Sometimes behavioral therapy doesn't work. But it just sounds like this is pretty cut and dry. There was a confession. A lot of witnesses. God yeah. damn it. Krista Gale Pike. She killed for love and Satan. And they both have totally opposite faces because Krista mm-hmm. does kind of have like an evil look in her eye. Oh, there's totally something in the eyes. And I think she's the only woman on death row in Tennessee. But she keeps filing these appeals and getting denied, so. Yeah, which, so, but neither of these cases we talked about today had reasonable doubt. No. One was poisoning her husband, one. She didn't admit, she never confessed because she got the death penalty, right? Because if you confess, then they will only... Really well, I think that 
Shadola girl. That's right. That's who She was. was the lead informant. So she planned it, and it was Tadrol, Shadola, Shadola, Shadola That's it. Those three. Mm-hmm. So she, con- she was very persuasive and convinced them to help her. And, you know, 18, 19-year-olds, it's really easy to get people on I've, that bandwagon. Why the fuck would she be the only one on death row? Not saying Shadola needs to be. She, would do, she clearly would do it again. She strangled her cellmate. Oh, poor baby Colleen. I know. It was not worth it. It never no. is. I mean, I already told my stories. Is there anything else we can end um, this on? I have two stories. Just speaking of that men don't give a shit about women, mm-hmm. no matter what they say, I saw a coworker at Costco. He's a works at a different department. I saw a cart rushing towards me, and I looked, and I was like, oh, that's him. So I knew, and I, he goes, I was expecting you to kind of get scared. I said, I have very good awareness. And he said, is, is that because of my training? He did, like, the Mant de-escalation training, and I said, no. It's because I'm a woman. It's because I, I have to have this awareness. Yeah. <laughs> Then I just walked away. And then my friend Victoria and I went to the ship last night. Have you ever been to the ship? Uh-uh. It's in the West Bottoms. It's pretty cool. And we were sitting there. We had just finished eating. We were waiting for our tab. And this guy sets his beer glass on our table. And I look, and his friend says, sorry about that, and picked it up. I was like, okay, fine. Not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then it's that same friend put two glasses on the table and I looked and I was like, are you fucking kidding? Don't say anything. Just breathe. We're almost out of here. And then the third friend said, I'm going to go take these to the bar. And I was like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having some fucking basic awareness. Right. Like taking your space. Exactly. You're not here. It's your world, baby. We're just living in it. (laughs) We're just living in it. Survive it. Fuck you. And they're fucking lazy. Like what? You put that there. So what? You want me to take it up for you? So they were empty glasses? They were empty glasses after they had already drank their beers. Yeah. I'm not your fucking mother. Mm-mm. And neither is our server. Unless you're going to fucking tip me. Yeah. You give me money to leave that here, or you take it the fuck up mm-hmm. there with your goddamn grown-up hands. Bye. The bar was maybe 15 feet away. No. I don't know if I'll go back to the ship. And then we went to the West Bottoms block party. It was pretty cool. I got a new outfit. I got this like leopard dress thing and like a denim, like a chambray denim type thing. Ooh. But they had a bunch of art, a bunch of different vendors. They had a plant bus. It's like a miniature bus, mini school bus with plants in it. It was so cool. It was really cool. And then we um, rode around on birds around my other friend's apartment that lives in it behind me. Was that cool? What it was fun. Like? It was. They're kind of scary. You yeah. got to get balanced. But Victoria was like. Boom! If you don't look down. Don't look down. You just got to look up and look where you're going. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yep. Bird, what's up? Did you give us a sponsor? Oh, scooters. <laughs> just call them the scooters. Scoots. Scoot, scoot, and scooties. Cool. I will. If you enjoyed this, give us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Share it with your friends. People. Murderpedia. Think they're your friends. Share them with the people who follow you. And subscribe. And subscribe. And remember, prisons are not humane. They're overcrowded. They're privatized. It's for profit. 
and look up uh, prison labor for everyday objects that we use. A lot of times inmates create them for like two cents an hour. Yeah. So think about that. They're highly exploited. Serial um, killer probably made your toothbrush. Yep. Probably. Or but I actually, I don't think... an innocent person who mm-hmm. was uh, wrongly convicted could have made your underwear, so... Or someone who was fighting for resources and had to rob a store to get their feed their family. Yep. Or someone who had to sell drugs to feed their family mm-hmm. because it's... So think about that before you call the police. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Don't be a fucking pussy-ass bitch. Yes. Don't call the police on black people, please. Yeah, God damn it. Just mind your fucking business. Just stop. Business. Mind your business. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. I've been Marielle. And I've been Amanda. I don't like how I said my name. I've been Marielle. Marielle. I don't even know my name anymore. This is Amanda. Bum, bum, bum.